Welcome to Martha Runs the World, a podcast with a new take on running, fitness, and all things health-oriented. I'm Martha Hughes, your host, and each week I present a new topic that is of interest to all runners. Welcome to episode 198 of Martha Runs the World. My guest this week has been on the show before. Brody Sharp is a physiotherapist, which in the U.S. is a physical therapist, but that's not all he is. He has his own business, which is called Run Smarter Physiotherapy Clinic. He's a podcaster, a blogger, and a YouTuber, and he's an author. I don't know how he does it all. I, I have no idea how he fits everything into one day. He works harder than anyone I know, and he has a terrific book out, and we're going to talk to him about what he's doing right now. We're going to update because it's been a while. He was on a past episode, episode number 84, way, way years ago. I've had this show almost four years. <laughs> Crazy. It's, it, it's been so long. So we're going to talk to him and see what he's doing now. So here is Brody Sharp. Will you welcome to the program Brody Sharp? He's been on the show before. He is a physiotherapist. He's an author with Run Smarter, his book, and he's a podcast, the Run Smarter Podcast. Hi, Brody. How are you? Good, Martha. How are you? I'm doing well, doing well. I, I know you've been super busy. I, sh I shouldn't even say how are you because I know you've been busy. You have <laughs> a lot of things going on. You also, oh, you also have an excellent YouTube channel, which I, I've been catching up on because you release something, at least one thing every day, it seems like. But it's been a long time since you've been on the show, and I know you've been very, very active. You put a lot of effort into the YouTube channel, as I was speaking of. Um, how difficult is it to film? It is. Well, I'm learning more and more about YouTube every single day. I think I started it when I put together the book. Once that released, I'm like, okay, I have some hours available now. And I always had in mind, let me start a YouTube channel once things free up and not just sort of falling into it. Just started recording a few things and a video maybe took me a couple of hours and editing maybe a couple of hours. But I've since mostly the last like four weeks, really diving into the nitty gritties of YouTube and it takes a lot of time. And so it's actually taken me more effort to produce and edit and those sorts of things. And I've just last week recently hired an editor to take some hours away from me. Um, like I said, I, I do like to keep busy, but sometimes it, it does become, I do become inundated with some workload, especially if I have to put in a lot of hours, but loving it, absolutely loving it. Yeah. It's, it's fun filming. The editing though is really difficult. Podcast editing is easy. So it was hard understand learning, but once you get it down, it's easy. Once I started doing YouTube and I'm terrible at it. Once I came to understand how difficult YouTube video editing is, it's just wow. It's a whole different, it's a whole different ball game, so to speak. Absolutely. It's, it's like, Oh yeah, I don't think I can do this until I can hire someone to edit this stuff for me because it is just so difficult. You released your book, Run Smarter. Have you been wanting to write that book for a while? It's sort of developed over the last couple of years. I had the, when I very first launched the Run Smarter podcast, I started with writing an ebook, e which had 10 chapters on how to reduce your risk of injury. And 
I converted that into the very first 10 episodes of my podcast. And so for those who uh, are like, oh, you have a podcast, let me check it out. I always say, okay, listen to the first 10 episodes first, because these are 10 universal principles to reduce the risk of injury. Um, and so people are loving it, getting a lot of feedback. And that was actually the template for the first part of my book. But two years into my podcasting, I'm like, oh, let me release another book because, uh, let me release another ebook because I recognize that people want to reduce their risk of injury. That's like the number one, uh, topic that runners are interested in. But the second one that kept popping up was increasing your running performance, increasing your running performance safely. And so I released a second ebook just to test out. And that time I used quotes from podcast interviews that I've done, experts that I've talked to, and again, got some really good feedback. And I thought to myself, I could put in some time and really flesh out a full book that did contain what the research shows. Because if people are familiar with my content, I like to dive into the science. I like to dive into what is evidence-based practice when it comes to reducing injury risk, overcoming a certain injury, increasing running performance. And if there isn't evidence out there, then I like to say there is no, there's not much evidence. And this is why this is the conclusion that we've come to. And so then we fall back on expert opinions or people have just seen a lot. And these are the ideas and concepts that they have. And so I already had a template for the book itself, but fleshing it out into a, a really big book containing quotes and papers and, you know, my understanding and even some runners that I've worked with in the past, like using some examples, um, that took a lot of time. And so I thought it would take about six months of really putting my head down. I actually initially thought, let me just dabble with it in my downtime, but quickly realized I need to put five, six hours a day into this. And it took me about 12 months to finally complete, which my podcast audience said it. That happened in a blink of an eye, but for me, it was a huge grind for a very long time. Um, but very proud of the the final product. Very proud of it's holding true to the mission. Like I say, the the subtitle is evidence based guidance and expert opinions to help you survive and thrive as a runner. So we're using as much evidence based as possible. But when that's not possible, if there's evidence that conflicts one another, or if there's just an absence of evidence then we fall back on expert opinions and see what they have to say. Well, well, it definitely is. And there's so much information in it. I, I'm going to, going to pick up a book, my own book on Amazon because I love holding it in my hand. And if I see something there, I either like will flag it with a sticky note or, or highlight it or something and go over because th- there's so many charts and so much science in it. And I love that. And I love reasons. Why is it this way? Why do, why should we do it this way? Why, you know, instead of someone just saying, well, you should do it this way because you're, you show us in, in the graphs and the charts and the, and you, you give us the evidence right there to, to prove the point, which, which I, absolutely love. Mm, Yeah. My idea is to try and explain it in a way that any runner can understand. You don't need a science background. And I've tried to communicate myself and I do that through tables and pictures and those sorts of things. Um, But it's a complex topic. Like if you want to talk about reducing your risk of injury, there's so many nuances and so many nitty gritty things you have to dive into. It almost has to be complex, but I'm trying to simplify it as much as possible. And I've realized like my audience, when the book came out, a lot of them purchased it, but a lot of them said, when's the audio book out as well? Because 
they're podcast listeners. They listen when they're out for a run. They don't like sit down and read. And so, um, just last week, the audio book is, was released. And that was my attempt of, you know, reading the book and getting a lot of the message across, um, and sort of reframing in a way that we don't need graphs. But I think the combination of the two is really good. And people have been listening to the audio book and saying, this is fantastic. And then they go and buy the paperback because they recognize like, like you say, you, it's it's nice to grasp a concept sometimes if you have a, a table to look at and you can sort of look at the numbers and understand a concept in a different way. Oh, wow. So you you have an audio version too. That's that's amazing. How long did I read that it ta- all myself. That's excellent. How long did <laughs> yeah. that take you to do? Well, each chapter took me about four or five hours to edit. Um, and it, there's 20 chapters in there. So it, it took a very long time. <laughs> and and to read it, how long did that take you to record? Um, to read, I had a ton of mistakes. And so it took me about an hour to read, actually read out the chapter. But then it took, you know, several hours after that to get rid of all mm. the little ums and ahs and all the mistakes. And mm. I wanted to read it myself um, because I do think being a podcast, like my whole brand is around me and I want it to be me. But it's just not my forte, like reading out loud and reading off a page and trying to yeah. emphasize certain things and sort of make it a story that people can follow rather than my monotone reading out a page. Um, but yeah, people seem to be enjoying it. So I'm quite happy. Yeah. Well, you have a good voice. I mean, you just, I guess you just have to realize that you, you, you can't talk like this. You have to make it more exciting so people can actually, you know, like that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's I true. That, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure you did a great job too. Um, yeah. You, there, there are some topics in there that I really, really liked. Like one of them was the load versus capacity. Um, that is really important. Actually, it's one, it's one of the, the most important things that one can think about in, in running. Can you explain that just a little bit? What is load versus c- capacity? This is sort of the crux of running related injuries, right. because if you can think about it in a way that every single bone, ligament, tendon, muscle that you have in the body has a certain capacity, it has a certain uh, limit that if you exceed that, it starts to become sore, starts to become a a little bit overloaded, we say. And if recovery isn't backed up by that, then, uh, and is backed up by more load, then it starts to develop into an injury. Now we want to exceed capacity. Sometimes we want to exceed that capacity to trigger adaptation, to sort of trigger something to get stronger. So if you want to get your your biceps bigger, you do bicep curls and you challenge yourself with a little bit of weight, a little bit more weight than what you're used to. And as a result, the body gets a bit sore, the muscle starts getting a bit sore. But if you give it enough recovery, two or three days later, it's fine, it's back to fresh, and you can go a little bit heavier. That's the the idea of the adaptation process. And so recognizing that load is your training. Load is the amount of the amount that you apply to your body. It could be distance, it could be speed, it could be terrain. Um, but it needs to reflect the capacity. We want to make sure that that load that we apply in our training versus the capacity, there's no mismatch in the, in those concepts. And so it's a delicate balance when it comes to getting stronger and reducing your risk of injury. If you have a race coming up, yes, you can challenge yourself. You can try and run faster. You can try and increase your distance, but we need to respect that balance between load and capacity. Um, the recovery side of things is within that capacity because if you reduce your recovery methods, if you 
aren't sleeping right or your nutrition's quite poor, um, that just means that your body reduces its capacity. So it's the load side of things as well as the capacity, that delicate balance is what we really need to pay close attention to because despite what most runners might think, mm. running injuries aren't due to your foot pronating or you having a, an imperfect running form or technique. It's not about your glutes aren't activating or your core isn't strong enough. It's usually 95% of the time based on this load capacity, people just doing too much too soon, exceeding that capacity, getting injured. I I can completely understand that. Maybe they're going too fast, too soon, too many miles too soon. Yeah, it's about documenting those things. If you have a goal in, in mind, it's not about just, oh, let me just run a little bit faster every week because yeah. we're not crunching the numbers and knowing where to, to where the next step is. Mm-hmm. It's about really understanding all the complexities of the training and making sure you're, you're dialed in and slowly building up methodically and reducing that risk of injury. Well, the, a lot of, a lot of runners run too many, mi- a lot of amateur runners run too many miles too quickly instead of go- going, doing slow uh, mileage. I'm, I'm one of the believers in doing, um, to, you have to run slower to run, to actually go faster. I like, I like that. I, I, once I read what Matt Fitzgerald's book, 8020, I, I really like that and it works for me. I mean, I'm not fast anyway, but, but it works for me and it's, it's good for my training and, um, to get my, I, I'm not, fully in the, in the mafetone, but I like keeping my heart rate down as much as possible. And it's at, and I feel better doing it and my runs are better. And I, I don't see anything wrong with running slower, but a lot of, a lot of beginner runners and a lot of younger runners will try to try to do every run all out or faster than they should. I've seen that mistake. Yes. It, mm-hmm. it might be expectations or ideas of what they think running is. If you go to a beginner runner, you know, they might think that running is running fast and they might think that once you get to 5k and then to 10k, like the idea of just trying to better yourself and trying to get your personal best every single run. Um, sometimes that's their philosophy. Sometimes they think that's the case and they quickly develop an injury just because they don't have that delicate balance. And I do mention the 80-20 rule in my book, and I have interviewed Matt Fitzgerald on my podcast to talk about why Mm -hmm. it works so well. And I've seen countless, it's not just, I know you say that you're not a fast runner, but even in the elites, it's it's from the top tier all the way down, the 80-20 balance works pretty well. It works well as a template um, for people to start with as their default intensity distribution. So um, for those who aren't familiar, 80% 80% should be at a really low intensity. Yeah. And most people even then again, misinterpret what low intensity actually is. They think they're running at a low intensity, but they're actually running a little bit too fast in those low intensity moments. And this works for so many different reasons. Uh, one, it avoids this gray zone of intensity that we have. So if you're running a little bit too fast on your easy days, you haven't recovered enough for that 20% when you're meant to be running fast. And so you can't run fast enough on your hard days because you're running too fast on your easy days. And you sort of just blend into this gray zone of intensity. Um, But people have these apprehensions with running really slow and really low intensity because they 
think that they're going to get slower. They think that if they have a race coming up, they need to be running faster, better prepare for that. Mm. But I've seen countless times people back off those easy days and reduce that intensity, and then they get faster. And it's only because that they're fresher for their faster days. And when it comes to an injury prevention side of things, your load, the overall, if you want to run faster, you need a bigger running base. If you have 20 miles per week under your belt, if you can successfully do 20 miles, and then with good training, you turn that into 40 miles, you're going to be a better runner. You're going to have a better marathon. And if you turn that into 60 miles and do that successfully, you're going to be a better runner. How do we do that? How do we build up such a big bulk of mileage if it's running really fast every time or if it's running a bit too intense? You're going to get an injury really quickly. And so the safest way we can do that is by having the bulk of that running just really low intensity because that reduces that load, still keeps a really high mileage, but reduces the load and puts you in a safer zone so that you're not in that heightened risk of injury. Yeah, it's true. It's true. You have to keep even the, uh, in, I don't know if you read Shane Benzie's book, The Lost, what is it? The Lost Art of Running. Um, I haven't, he, no. It's, it's an amazing book. He, he traveled the world to talk to runners and he's, uh, I don't know, he's like a physio anthropologist or something like that. And he, 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 went all over the globe and he went to Kenya and, to, and he studied the, the runners over there. And at one of the places that he went to, if they run too fast in one practice, the, uh, the coach will stop the practice and then they're done for the day. He says, that's it. You guys run too fast. You guys have to take a break and start it up the next day. And, and that's how they do it there. So each, each I mean, to, to them though, I mean, a slow, Okay, a slow running speed might be, you know, eight minute, eight, seven minute miles. So that's, that's slow to them. That's very slow. So if they, if they do, they usually do most of their runs at maybe seven minute miles as a slow day. And if they start going too fast, the coach calls it off and they say, that's your, your practice is done for the day. We'll start up the next day because he doesn't want them going out too fast and, and getting too tired and wearing themselves out. Well, that's a lesson into what's, what's slow. Slow is relative. Yeah, exactly. Based on the runner. And exactly. So I think it, that's where people need to listen to their body a little bit. Um, I, I had an interview with my sister where she was a runner, not that like just a recreational runner, nice and slow, plodding around, but she would constantly get injured and she wouldn't see any improvement in performance for years. Mm-hmm. And I told her this 80 20 rule and she thought she was doing it. And when I asked, well, how do you feel on your easy runs? She said, my legs are burning. They feel heavy. My lungs are bursting out of Mm. my chest. I'm sweating. And I'm like, I told you to run slow. She's like, I am running so slow that, you know, I can't possibly run slower. And turns out that she was just comparing her slow run to everyone else. Mm. And when she really backed off, she like on hot days, she'd actually do some walking just to really keep that intensity low. And she started seeing benefits. She started running faster. She started feeling better because she was on that 20% um, in her intensity distribution. She had fresher legs and she's starting to enjoy running a bit more as well. It wasn't this slog to really get out a hard session because every run was an effort. Now she was completing her runs, actually feeling fresh. And that's what I like to tell people. You should, on the easy days, you should finish a run actually feeling just as fresh as when you started. You should feel like you can do that session all over again. That's the amount of intensity I'm talking, and that's how I like to keep to my low-intensity sessions. But that speed 
is different depending on where you're, where, how elite you are, how new you are. It's, it all, it's all quite relative, but everyone should be focusing on their body, listening to their body and how effortless is it? Because those really elite Kenyan runners, a seven minute mile would be within that low intensity. It'd feel like they're just jogging and feel effortless. They're not really, their heart rate's staying low. Their effort, perceived effort is very, very low. And so we do need to really listen to our bodies. You re- we really do. We have to understand how our bodies work. And, and as we, as we get to be better runners, we have to listen to ourselves and, and hear. And one of the things that you do talk about is, is that to, you talk about pain and, and what, you know, the, the pain level table that you have. Can you run on this pain? What does the pain feel like? And can you run on it? Can you not run on it? Um, I, I, I've run, I've run. 50k is where I probably shouldn't have run, but I did it anyway because I wanted to finish. So, you know, <laughs> but you know, I mean, I, it is what it is. Um, ultra runners, we, we thrive on pain. So what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, there, there's certain pain levels and, and I love that table that you have there that, that, um, that is very helpful. That's, that's what I think. That's what I'm saying about the book. There's so many helpful things in this book. You, you guys have to read it really. And then we'll have, we'll, we'll have a link. I'll have a link on the website for all your stuff there. There's so p- people could, could go buy it on Amazon. And, um, yeah, it's great. Now also one of the, all, the other things that you had in there that I liked is, is the, uh, you help us detect the early warning signs of an injury. We'll be right back. Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy, and happy? And what if I told you you could get your dream body by simply just listening to a podcast? I'm Josh. And I'm KG. And we're the hosts of the Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast. Listen, we get it. Fitness isn't easy. Carbs, no carbs. Just stop, okay? It doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's why we made this podcast. We get straight to the facts so you can become your best you. So the way to check us out is click the link in the show notes or search Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll see you soon. Yeah. And I think the going back to those pain levels as oh, well, yes. I think that's really significant to talk mm-hmm. about before moving on. Um, of course. because this can be a game changer for a lot of runners if they're managing an injury or if they're a niggle pops up here and there. There are certain characteristics to find. Um, most, most people they're like sit in two camps. Some people just run through pain because whatever that motivation is, maybe they have a race coming up. Maybe they're just really stubborn or headstrong or just have to run they feel compelled to run and whether that's through an injury and through pain you know they'll they'll do that and if that pain is um not bothersome enough to stop running then they'll just do it they'll just keep running um and it's when that injury gets too much and the pain gets so high that they can't run that's Mm -hmm. when they're booking in to see a health professional and trying to get better as soon as possible um but we do have some pain rules for most running related injuries that can be a guideline and can help direct someone whether they should be running or whether they should be resting or cross training or whatever that may be. And for most running related injuries on the exclusion of say a bone stress injury or stress, a bone stress reaction, um, stress fracture, a pain that is below a four out of 10. And, you know, again, this can be quite subjective, but a pain level below a four out of 10 during the activity can be okay in most cases. But there are some other additional rules that go into that. 
So you can run with a pain below a four, so a zero, one, two, or three. However, it needs to quickly settle back to what we call baseline. So baseline would be the the symptoms you experience when it's not irritated. So if you go, you know, one or two days of rest and it's it's settled down to like a one or a two, or maybe zero in some cases, that would be your baseline. And so when you attempt to run of a certain duration, speed, terrain with certain type of shoes, like keep those variables consistent. If it elevates to a three, okay, great, that was successful. Let's see how it feels afterwards. So we need to pay attention to symptoms later in the day and especially symptoms the next morning. So when you first wake up and move around, is it elevated above that baseline level or not? And if it has elevated above baseline, then we know that your running attempt may not have been as successful as we once thought and we need to modify things. So maybe a rest day. And then when you get back into the running, we need to either reduce the mileage, reduce the speed, change the shoes, change the terrain, whatever that injury is that um, we can sort of hone in on. Because every injury will require different pieces of uh, modifications. But those pain rules, pain during, pain like later in the day, the pain the next morning, this can help guide you to see whether you're doing the right thing. But there is a fourth rule That isn't really in the research that I like to add, but your symptoms should be improving week by week, significantly improving week by week. Mm. If it's not, then you need to change something in your management because some people can say, okay, I've got plantar fasciitis. I go for a run. It gets to a three. Um, When I wake up the next morning, it's back to baseline at a one or a two that hangs around for about five minutes. And I say, okay, so maybe you're handling that running. How long have you had it for? And they said, oh, I've on and off for four months. So it's not getting better week by week. And so the odds of them continuing, the odds of it actually getting better by continuing to do what they do is very low. And so that's when I put in that additional guideline. And for some people that might be reassuring because some people might have a bit of knee pain and totally avoid running altogether. And little do they know that they could probably actually do something. In the in this scenarios where someone goes for a run with knee pain and it's straight away spikes to a five, then maybe running isn't ready. You're not ready for running. Maybe you need to do some cross training, some strength training, something to build up the capacity of that knee to then tolerate even just the smallest bits of running. And then once you can tolerate that small bit of running, then we're introducing running because running should be a part of your rehab, not the end goal, which I talk about in the book as well. Mm -hmm. But it's a certain the idea of rehab is to bridge the gap between where you are now and the demands that are required for running. So once you bridge that gap, then we need to include running. It's important that we include running in that rehab process. It might be really slow. It might be a run-walk interval, but then we're building up that tolerance to running. And then that's just a part of the rehab process. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, you make a lot of good points there. I think on that, on that table, you need to add one saying, everyone who's not Killian Journey, because if you remember, mm-hmm. if you remember him, he, he won hard rock one time in the first, I don't know if you remember this a few years ago, but in the first, um, like part, very first part, like the first 10 or 20 miles of the, of this race, he dislocated his shoulder. They wrapped it up for him and he went and he won it. And Hard Rock is one of the hardest races in the world. And wow. no one else can do that but Killian. Only Killian could do that. It's just, <laughs> it's just like, how in the world can, can a, a human being actually 
dislocate their shoulder in the race and then just go win it. I mean, it's just, the guy's not human, I swear. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, and I guess like coming back to your point of being in a race and having pain and just running through it, um, that can be fine as well, but you need to weigh up the risk versus rewards. Yeah. And so well, my- in that scenario, how much does it mean to you? Like you can elevate your pain. It can get to above, it can get to a 10 out of 10, oh, yeah. but how much does it mean? And do you want to take on that risk to, to get to that reward? It's true. And in my case, it, it was with my, I, I had a hip replacement last year. Before I had it in, in 2019, I had had really bad pain in my quad in my quads and I didn't know what it was from. And I went to the orthopedist and he, and he took x-rays and I have arthritis in both my hips. My left isn't as bad, but my right hip was really bad. And he said, you need a hip replacement. And I said, well, that, and he said, that's where the pain is coming from. And I, I had no pain in my hip area, just my right quad. And he, I said, well, can I still run 50 K? And he said, oh yeah, it's not going to hurt it. It's 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 going to hurt, but it's not going to do any more damage. So I said, but the, this was like a month away. I said, okay, good. I'm going to run it. <laughs> so I ran Very it through. Good. It was a mountain. It was a mountain of 50 K up at Mount Shasta in Northern California. And there was about 5,000 elevation gain. And it was really hard. And I cried through a lot of it, but I finished it. So it was like, yeah, okay. I, I can do hard things, but it, you know, it, it, I wasn't going to cancel it. I, I needed to finish it. I needed to do it. And now that is wonderful. I got my new hip and that's great. Now I'm going to get the other one done next year. Um, it isn't near as bad. So that, that got, got through, but I figure if I can get through that one with that kind of pain, I can pretty much get through almost anything. <laughs> yeah. Well done. Yeah. That was hard. That was really hard. But, um, is there, what do you wish your readers to know after getting done reading your book? Uh, what should they know or what, uh, what, what, what would you like? What afterwards? would you like them? To, uh, okay. Let me rephrase that. I, I apologize. What do you want your readers to take away after reading your book? Mm. It's, there's, there's two things. I think there's something to learn a lot of these things, but mm-hmm. it's another to execute on them. Like, mm-hmm. A lot of my podcast listeners, some of them still get injured and they've listened to, you know, the 240 odd episodes on my podcast that teaches all the stuff that they shouldn't be doing and they go and do it anyway. Um, Maybe some of these lessons, maybe all of it seems a bit too daunting. Maybe they're just, you know, too headstrong. Maybe they're just not practically applying what they're learning. And so, I always say it's one thing to learn these things, but it's that next step is actually executing on a lot of these plans. It's monitoring your training loads and it can be really easy. You can just make one step to significantly reduce your risk of injury. Some of it's just making a training log. Some of it's just planning ahead saying, okay, I've done this successfully for the last four weeks. What should I do next week? Should And then you actually plan ahead rather than just saying, oh, I feel good today. Let me just go out for a run and see how I feel and just run to feel because that can get you in a bit of trouble as well. Um, or it could just be something that they don't understand, like they maybe have moved house and their terrain is just really hilly and they've gone running 20 flat miles per week to 20 hilly miles per week and then all of a sudden they're injured and they just haven't realised that transition. Um, so I guess reading the book, 
learning these things and just finding like every chapter has a couple of takeaway points, like has some dot points summaries at the end of each chapter of practical things that you can do. Um, so just taking a couple of those things, trying to identify some gaps in your training and then just implementing a few of them. You don't have to do everything in the book, but you can start doing a few pointers here and there and say, you know what? I'm really missing the mark here. Let me just implement this really easy test or this really easy system, put that in place, reduce my risk of injury. And then once I've, I'm comfortable with that, maybe let me just add another thing to reduce my risk of injury. Um, but I will say as well, and I do mention in the book, uh, you can implement a lot of these things and your risk of injury won't be zero. You can reduce your risk of injury quite a lot uh, if you do the right things, but you can't get it down to zero. Injuries just happen. Sometimes things just pop up. You're just unavoidable. But it's knowing what to do when those things arise. So if symptoms come up and you start getting some tightness under your heel or you start getting some soreness around the kneecap, it's knowing what to do in those moments effective injury management, which you can learn. Some of these pain rules might that I've just described would be the, the first step, but it's doing some effective injury management strategies to reduce, uh, to overcome that injury really quickly without losing fitness. So you don't take two weeks off and then trying to get back into it. It's still staying active the entire time. Um, these are some things that people can easily do once they have the education, which hopefully they gather from the book. And then they can start, well, they survive and thrive as a runner. It's the title of the book. And so that's what I hope that people can take away. That's great. That's perfect. I really like that a lot. And I think people need to look at this. There's, there's a lack of, I think there's um, a lot of people maybe started running during the, um, during COVID and stuff like that is finding, ways to keep active and stuff, maybe who are new and maybe who are looking for guidance. And I think this is a really, really nice way to help them stay healthy and to to keep avoiding getting injured. And I think this is a really, really nice guide to help them with that. And um yeah, definitely check out Brody's YouTube and his podcast as well, because there's all kinds of infinite amount of information there to keep you busy. And thank you so much, Brody, really very much um, for um, coming on the show. I really appreciate it. And it's good to talk to you again. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. I always love chatting about running. So any chance I get, um, I'm always buzzing for the rest of the day. So thanks for the opportunity. Of course, absolutely. And stick around and we'll talk afterwards and have a great rest of your day. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Brody, so much for coming back and joining my show once more. That's Brody Sharp of Run Smarter. I'm reading his book. It is amazing. It's really technical. It gives you lots of information. And if you're an information junkie like me, you're going to love it. And I'll have all the links for his book, for his services, everything on the website. So you can check it out. Okay. That is my interview with Brody and I am continuing on with my running. I'm getting making plans for my surgery in March. If you didn't know, I'm going to get my left hip, my new left hip in March in 2023, but I am continuing to run and trying to get, stay in good shape so that when I get out of surgery, I'll be in really good shape. I don't want to go into it like I did last time where I couldn't run for like a year. No, no, I'm going to go into this in the best shape that I can. 
And I have a really, really good attitude. I'm very positive about this. I know I'm going to do this. And when I get out, I'm going to be able to do long distances. Well, I have to work up, obviously. But I think I have a really good positive attitude. So if you're struggling, you go through this too. I know you will. I know you will. Just persevere. Keep going. We all stumble and fall. But if we can get back up, we can do this. So the website is MarthaRunsTheWorld.com. If you have any questions, comments, or what, just want to say hi, you can email me at MarthaRunsTheWorld at gmail.com. And until next week, let's tie up our shoelaces and go for a run. <laughs>